Hi, this is Chris Kipp, lead pastor of Renaissance Church in Richmond, Texas. Thank you for streaming or downloading this podcast today. I hope this resource blesses you. If you haven't joined us at a worship gathering or at a house church yet, we want you to come. You can find all that information and more at rin-church.org. I pray that you are encouraged today by the proclamation of God's word. This morning, I get to close out this this teaching series called uh, Walk, Grow, and Live. And like we have that on banners in the back. So every time you walk in to this place, every time you walk out, you're reminded of those things. And those are just like values that we hold. We want everybody who comes to Renaissance to experience walking with God, growing in community, living on mission. And so I'm going to get to close this out. On, on this series, and I hope that it's been fruitful for you to, to hear the seeds that have been planted so far. And we just kind of believe in the intersection of those three things is the power of the Spirit on display in your life and in the world. And so it's not one and then the next and then the next. It's all of them as we walk forward together as followers of Jesus. And so this morning, um, this is going to be the simplest message that I think I've ever preached before. Like, I know you wish I said the shortest message that I've ever preached before. Not exactly the same thing, but it is gonna be the simplest and it's gonna be based, based off of one verse. One verse, all right? So if you have your Bible, it's gonna be in Matthew chapter five. It'll be on the screens if you don't or if you're to put up on your phone, that's fine. So Matthew five, verse six, and we're just gonna look at five words Uh, They're highlighted there as our message for this morning. So here we go. Matthew chapter five, verse six. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness because they will be filled. And today I just have a very, the title of today's message is just really simple. Do you want to be filled? Do you want? To be filled. And so I want to just kind of start with this first word, and the first word is filled, or your translation may actually say um, satisfied. And so let's move on, James, if we could, to those next things. So uh, the first word is filled. And so the leadership gurus say, begin with the end in mind. So we're going to the, the result of this verse, all of these things, so that we can be filled, so that we can be satisfied. So we're just giving away the ending, right? Like, spoiler alert, this is the end. You can be filled and you can be satisfied. The question is, do you want to be? We are making choices every day that prove what we want to be filled or satisfied with, and and an audit kind of of where we are is kind of helpful to say, how's that going? How filled am I? How satisfied am I? Because when you look around, and if you're using social media as a barometer, you don't see a lot of people seemingly satisfied with anything. Like the only thing you see are complaints and, and positions and challenges and negativity and questions, and it's like, is anybody really filled or satisfied? Are we noticing that there is just kind of this hunger out there for something that doesn't seem to have yet been attained? Everybody seems to have a position that lacks a place of contentment, a place of satisfaction, or a place of fulfillment. So when we come across words like this, I think it's good for to help them meet us like where we are. And so I'm just going to put this up. How filled and satisfied are you? What's your current level of satisfaction? Are you willing to dive into that? This is a little bit of a life coaching session. 
session, all right? Full disclosure. If you want more, like I do this every day. I do this all day, all right? Here we go. How satisfied are you? On a scale from one to 10, how's it feeling? And if you don't know where to start, let's put this next thing up. Think about these different areas. You can think about your family. You can think about your faith, your work, your relationships, your health, your goals. How is it going? If you were to rate each of these areas one to 10 and then take an average, what would it look like for you? If you're being honest with yourself, how content are you? How satisfied are you with your level of faith? How content, how filled, how satisfied are you with the current state of your family? How satisfied, how filled are you with other relationships, with your job, your career, your trajectory? How does it feel? This is maybe a good opportunity for like homework, right? Sit with this and start really looking in. But if we start being honest, what we usually find is that we're more satisfied with things that we thought we were dissatisfied with and we're more dissatisfied with things that we thought we were more satisfied with. And so we find some surprising effects when we really dig in. How often do we just stop and think about how am I? Where am I? What am I pursuing? What am I chasing after? Am I even fulfilled in the things that I'm giving my time to every single day? Or am I in this just groundhog day of events and activities that are leaving me feeling like there's still something missing from my life, that there's got to be more than this? Like, how are you feeling? And then the next question I have for you is, if you were truly satisfied, how would you know? If you were truly satisfied, how would you know that you're full? And like, I don't know, we're talking about full, it made me think about this. We have a tradition, um, a Father's Day tradition with Jake and my, me and my dad, right? Like, I don't know if you guys have been down the road to Avenida um, Brazilian Steakhouse. It's incredible. I have a little picture, right? Just because I need, you need to understand. So here's the picture. There it is, right? That is the picanha. That is the house specialty. And if you've never had it, oh my, all right? Lobster bisque that will change your life, all right? So I'm just saying, just down the road, right there, Um, on 59. Now, I don't know if you've ever been to one of these places before, but it's unbelievable, right? Like you pay a flat fee and you walk in and then at the bottom you see those little cards, like one, that's one card that's got two sides and on the front it's green and on the back it's red. And when you sit down, green means go. And what they do is they bring to vegetarian's nightmare. So don't go there if you're a vegetarian, right? It's going to be very difficult for you. Matter of fact, I highly recommend you don't waste time at the salad bar. That's just a distraction, right? That's just to get you away from the plethora of meat that they are going to bring by your table. Um, don't do that. Like, but get the lobster bisque because that will change your life. But then the meat, it just starts coming and you've got this green th- and you just leave it green. And you're like, I want to try that. I want to try that. I want to try that. Would you like more of this? Yeah, I do. And then you kind of get to this place where it's actually way past the place, but there just comes a point where it's like, I don't know what to do anymore. I've tasted everything. I'm absolutely miserable now. I should have stopped like five rounds ago, but it's no carbs and it's meat. So it's just like, just keep it coming. And then there comes a time where it's just like, you're so full. It's like you flip your card over and you go, enough. And you turn it from green to red. It's amazing. And you stop and then they're still going around and like satisfying the restaurant. They're continuing to provide all these things. That's the only, that's the way that I, I know that I'm full is when you know that you know that you're full, you have to just be like, I'm tapped out, I'm full, I have every blessing, I have everything that I've wanted. So it's just a little picture of full, right? And I just wanted to, you know, go see Sal at the Avenida, amazing. All right, so here's the thing. 
um, on a daily basis, I just want to invite us to be honest. Are we being honest about what we're looking for to find satisfaction and fulfillment? Could we be honest about that? Could we be honest about how much time we're spending pursuing things for a certain level of happiness or satisfaction compared to spiritual things that are the only thing that will actually give us that satisfaction? And so I think the biggest challenge to that satisfaction starts with the source. So how can we have as much I just, like, there's Christian everything. It's all at your fingertips. There's an app for everything. You've got all your worship music. You've got all of your books. You've got all of your Bible reading. And now there's a podcast. And now there's all, I mean, there's just all of these experiences in the conference and the online webinar and all, like, there's just so much Christian stuff. And I'm just wondering why with all of that stuff, there still seems to be this gap in satisfaction because Christian busyness isn't satisfying our souls. It's just not. It's always leaving us actually wanting more because it's like somebody goes, well, have you listened to this podcast? Have you listened to this? Have you read this book? Have you done this? And it's like, no, oh gosh, it's amazing. I need to do that. And there's this like peer pressure to keep striving after all of these things. And I'm just wondering, it's like, are the sources that we're looking for just actually reinforcing the true source that we look at most of the time? And that is our self. Like we're really just looking to things that make us feel better about what we already believe. We're, already looking, we're only looking for songs that are by artists that we already know that we like. Or we're reading books by favorite authors because we know that, that we're looking, we know the theological convictions and we want to just continue to reinforce what's most important to us. I just wonder, in some of that busyness, are we looking still to the wrong source? And the wrong source is ourselves. Because we live in this you-do-you-boo culture. You do you, it's fine. Just you do you. Like hell is filled with people who did you do you. That's where that leads because it's unfulfilling. It's unsatisfying. Should you have license to pursue who you are, the creative identity that God's given you? Yes, walk in that. There is uniqueness that you have that God has placed to you, but that is not satisfying if all that we're doing is just serving ourselves and trusting our own preferences, and it's actually possible to live this incredibly spiritually active life and for it to still really be all about our own comfort and what we enjoy for ourselves. We get to ask some questions. We were not created, guys, to live for comfort. Comfort does not satisfy. There's nothing comfortable about the life of Christianity that Jesus died on the cross for. And invited us to, it's not supposed to be for our comfort, for our joy, yes, for purpose, for destiny, for meaning, yes, for our own satisfaction and personal comfort and preference, no. Here's a quote that I found. You cannot be the source of your own satisfaction. (laughs) It always looks better when you do it like that, right? It's not just a point, it's a quote. I didn't read a book. I just made that up. But, so, you, but I do believe it. Like, maybe it will be in a book. If you're writing a book, put it in there. It's good. Just cite me as a source, right? I just want my credit. 
because it's all about me and my preferences and my satisfaction. You cannot be the source of your own satisfaction. You just can't. And if you are, it's not sustainable and you're gonna face something that threatens that and shows you that it wasn't enough. You can't be the source of your own satisfaction. It has to come from the outside. And if you're not satisfied, we need to start looking at what source we're really looking at. And so I want to just lead us into a passage here to support that verse that we already looked at. And so Colossians 1 says this. It's in Colossians 1.15. If you want to turn there, it'll be on the screen. I just want us to learn a little bit here. He, um, I think there's one before that, right? He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and by him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. And so what this tells us is that we were created to be sourced outside of ourselves. We were created by God and for God, and it tells us that the fullness of God is on display in Jesus himself. So the only place that we can find satisfaction is, by Je- is through Jesus. That is how God made us. So your satisfaction meter is never going to be filled until we realize that the only source that will satisfy is the Son of God. He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. All things have been created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things hold together. He is the head of the body. He is to be first place in everything. You've heard it said he's, to, he's Lord of all or he's not Lord of all. He's not Lord at all if he's not Lord of all, if he's not first place then he's in the wrong place and you'll never be satisfied. And as the great prophet Ricky Bobby said, second place is the first loser. If you're not first, you're last. Like if Jesus isn't first, he may as well be last. If we're not allowing him to lead out, if we're not willing to put him above all others, It's impossible for us to be truly filled or satisfied. The satisfaction we long for is only found in the fullness of God through Jesus. So how do we get there? We recognize that Jesus is the only sustainable source of fullness and satisfaction. That's it. You're not going to find it through materials. You're not going to find it through other people. You're not going to find it through wealth and accumulation of things because it just leaves us wanting more and more. And this is what we find is that conviction is the, the solution, right? It's the thing that stands between where we are and where we want to be. Because we have God who set his standards and tells us that he is to be first. And then you have us chasing our own satisfaction, and we're over here. God's expectations and callings are over there. And if we don't do something 
to respond to that by stepping back from the things that we're chasing to step into the things that he's calling us to. That gap is going to be incredibly real in our life. And conviction is responding to the discovery that there's a gap between God's expectations and my current reality. Are we brave enough to say, I know that God's standards for me are here. And because of sin and selfishness and pride, I'm currently hanging out here. And you do you. The way to acknowledge and believe is to repent, to let conviction make a move to go from where I currently am to sync up with putting Jesus first above everything and living a life that reflects that. And I know that seems simple, and it is. But why is most of life seemingly over here? Why is most of our time in things over here? Are we letting conviction? I feel like conviction is a lost art in our world. Who's going on their social media and going, I just realized how broken I was and I've been chasing my own selfishness and preferences and I realized that God has called me to more than that so I stepped back from what I thought was okay in order to pursue what is ultimate to find my ultimate satisfaction. Where's conviction gone? Why is nobody talking about it? Where's the confession of sin? Where's repentance? It's all about love and grace and blessing and mercy, which are all very, very good things. But the kindness of God is given to lead us into repentance, not just so that we feel better about ourselves. If we're using it just to keep doing what we want to be doing, then Jesus is certainly not first place. He's no place. The only place to be filled is through Jesus. He's the only source of our fullness or satisfaction. So I just want to ask this again gently. Do you want to be filled? Are you ready to be satisfied in life? It only happens from conviction, responding to the gap that exists between my preferences and comfort and God's calling. He's calling us up. First word. Second word is this, righteousness. Righteousness is a judicial word that means what is approved in God's eyes or what is deemed right by the Lord. With our faith and hope secured in Jesus and with him first, we, it brings us to this next word, righteousness. This is a consequence of Jesus being first because with Jesus, everything is made right. When we're right with Jesus, it motivates us to want to make things right in our world. It makes us want to align with the things that measure up to his standards, to the things that are approved by God. We should be constantly evaluating these things in our life. Before I give my time and effort and energy and devotion and attention to this, is this something that is approved by the Lord? Or is it something that the Lord detests? Is it something about, is it sin? 
Am I toying with something that is not approved by God? So it has this weight to it. It has this kind of moral sense to it. What is pure, what is right, what is excellent, what is praiseworthy. All the things that God approves is something that we're being called up to, but it's a judicial word too, right? So righteousness is often used in association with justice. And we live in a time where social justice is such an important word, right? But it's, it's possible to do social justice in a way that's still just self-serving for our own preferences and pleasure. Because if justice isn't tied to righteousness, it's just good works. And that's not enough. Do those things do good? Yes. Are they righteous? Maybe. Are they approved by God? It's the combination, it's the marriage of these two things because righteousness is a call to action. Righteousness is a call to action. Our faith is not this passive thing that we pray a prayer and we hang out for 50 years and wait till heaven. It's a life to be lived. It's a call to action. Those who will be filled are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, that which is approved for by God and those who live their lives pursuing that the rest of the world experiences that which is approved by God. That's why the church historically has always led the way in taking care of the poorest of the poor because nobody else wants to do it. And it's not right that in certain countries around the world, disabled kids are just thrown away. And you know who stands in the gap? The people of God. You know who hospitals are started by? Most often churches. Church organizations, if you look at history, this is what happened. Who's leading the charge in anti-trafficking? The church has educated the world into the horror of sex trafficking, and it's working. The church is leading the way in attacking poverty around the world. Why? Because a life of faith is a call to action to do something about that which is not approved. God does not approve of human suffering. God does not approve of poverty. God does not approve of sex trafficking. What's the response for the people of God? Not on our watch. We're going to go do something about that because the righteousness is something that we have in us because of the priority that we make God. And we're being called to do something that doesn't just serve ourselves, but does righteousness on display in the world. We're being called to that. We're being called to action. Righteousness is a call to action and righteousness doesn't accept unrighteousness. It can't. It can't look at unrighteous things and be like, it's cool, you do you. It can't. If it's sin, it can't associate with it. It has to love it, engage it, walk with it, and lead it to righteousness. Noticing what's unright in the world and responding. It's a call to action. It's something fulfilling. I think that fulfillment and satisfaction only comes through stepping out of comfort and stepping into a challenge that makes you trust more than what you've got on your own. And when you experience the presence of God and the strength of God empowering you to do something that you could never do on your own, you're on the, on the journey to be like, wow, I've never felt anything like that before. When you're brave enough to speak the word of God to somebody who's never heard it before, and they're like, tell me more. That's satisfying. 
It's fulfilling more so than any other thing, but it takes a a step of conviction out of our comfort into righteousness. Following Jesus means action. It was never just supposed to be a list of creeds and doctrines that we agree with. It's a rescue mission for those who don't believe in Jesus. That's why we're supposed to have buildings is to serve our community, not to hide from them. We're supposed to be on mission for righteousness. That's the calling. When we become right with God, we are moved to live for our world to become right also. That's what Jesus does. That's what putting him first does. So righteousness calls us to action in our lives and in our world. And without action, without action, you'll never be satisfied with Jesus. If you're just like, yeah, I believe that. I believe that. I believe that. Then all that is is a bunch of arguments. It's not satisfying. What is satisfying is living together to bring righteousness to the unrighteous places, to respond to orphan crisis and homeless sex trafficking crisis, sending missionaries to the ends of the world where there's no gospel yet. That's fulfilling. That's satisfying. It comes from hungering and thirst for righteousness. All right, going backwards. Got blessed. I mean, we got fulfilled, satisfied, we got righteousness. Let's talk a minute about hunger and thirst. Man, I don't know about you, but like when our kids, I'm starving, I need something to eat. Our poor kids like have grown up in this missions organization centric like world. And it's like the kids in Africa who haven't eaten for three days, they're starving. You're just being bratty, right? You're fine. You're not starving. So we have a little bit of a bias. Our kids are scarred with that from ever. But starving for real though, it, it really is like kids who haven't eaten in, in three days. 15 million children under the age of five are food insecure in the world. 10 million kids in America are food insecure. That's starving. And I want us to think about that. These are some pictures. We're doing a trip to Nicaragua July 2nd. These are kids that you could go and meet and be a part of. When we go in our travels, we feed kids that have no other source of food. And why I want you to see these kids is because they have an appreciation for what they're eating in a way that we don't. We live in the restaurant capital of the world. It's like our biggest problem is, gosh, how do I choose from the five million, four and a half star Yelp restaurants five miles from my house? And we can't help where we're born. We shouldn't feel bad about it, right? But a lot of the world lives like this. They understand hunger and thirst in a way that we don't. Early in our marriage, Holly and I uh, planted a church in San Marcos, Texas. And um, one weekend, it was just like a crazy thing. We had a weekend event happening. We had friends from the UK in doing a women's conference and doing a prayer conference and doing, and then we had friends coming in to do a concert. So we had like this just crazy weekend, a lot like what everybody's been running around doing here for one weekend. And Holly got super sick. Right. And in the wisdom of my late 20s, um, my compassion and love for her usually sounded like just suck it up and get through it. Right. Like we got to get this finished. Like we can't stop doing like what's wrong with you. I was so annoyed that she like wasn't able to show up because she was sick. And then I kind of went home like I don't one of those nights. And it's like the something in her eyes was just like, oh my God, like she's really sick, <laughs> like really, really sick. So we like ran to the ER and we're like crying out to God, don't let something bad happen. And she had had this sickness 
for a couple of days. And because I was not there and, and stuff like that, she just wasn't thinking about eating and drinking and things like that. So the sickness had turned into dehydration and the dehydration was so severe that she was on the verge of her organs shutting down. And so overnight they gave her, I don't know how many bags of IV fluids. She's saying four, four bags of IV fluids. That seems like a lot to me. Um, so it was a lot, but there just came a point where at that point, there's not enough water that your body can drink to quench that thirst. And it's like, that's being thirsty, right? Like getting to this place of understanding that the need for water and the desperation for it is incredibly severe. So when we read that, oh, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Oh, I get hungry sometimes. Well, you really don't. There's a level of hunger that exists all throughout our world that you and I have never experienced. That's the hunger that this is talking about. There's a thirst that's more like Holly getting to the end of her body function because she was so dehydrated, realizing how desperate she was. That's thirst. So when we read hunger and thirst, those are more powerful words than what our context allows us to understand. Hunger actually means that you were distressed due to a lack of food. You're distressed. When we talk about hunger, we're, we're talking about this deep thing, and, and it's just like, Everything's so convenient for us that there's a danger that we associate hungering and thirsting for righteousness just out of the comfort and convenience that we're used to instead of taking it to a deeper level and just saying, understanding that to hunger and thirst is to be so distressingly desperate. It's to be distressingly desperate for what can truly satisfy and sustain you distressingly desperate for righteousness, distressingly desperate for Jesus. And I just wonder, have we ever allowed ourselves to be so desperate for righteousness that we're distressed by the lack of it in our experience? Not like, oh yeah, I wish I was more spiritual. I wish I was more serious about things. Have we let ourselves be distressingly desperate for the unrighteousness in our hearts and our souls, the sin in our lives, the brokenness in our world. That's hunger and thirst. All right, that was pretty intense. You guys okay? We doing okay? Do you want me to stop? All right, thanks, Herman. I'm glad you're on the front row. Um, so four, fifth word is this. That was the third and fourth word. It's our last word. This is a, a bit of a cool bookend um, for our one verse, because blessed, it just means to be fully satisfied. So it's taking us back to satisfied. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled and satisfied. And I think this is so cool. Um, it, it also means to be envied. To blessed means that somebody is looking at your life going, I want what they have. I think, unfortunately, that exists in our culture far more about shoes and cars and houses and like things, right? But this is supposed to be the effect of living a righteous life in our world is that the world living unrighteously looks at the righteous and envies the righteousness that we live with. What is that? 
What is that joy that you have? What is that, that catalyzing thing where you're always just looking at things and blessing people and you have this thing? I, it's to be envied, to be fully satisfied and to be envied. And the word that this comes from, from the Greek, is the, is the word makarios. And the mac part, hey, mac, the mac part of makarios is to become large. That's what mac means. So in this idea of blessed, it has something to do with something that's a really big deal. Real, blessed, so it's not just like, hashtag blessed, I got a new purse, hashtag blessed. Like our culture has totally taken, we've given it away. Why? Because we haven't shown the world enough in the way that we live for Jesus that they look at us and want our hashtag blessed. They've taken it for hip hop culture. We gave it away. Why? Because our view of God is not big enough to make the world want it. They find a bigger satisfaction in other things. So we hi they hijacked our word. It's our word. We need to take it back. We've got the hashtag blessed. We've got the big, big God. I just want to challenge us and encourage us that a blessed life provokes questions from an unbelieving world and allows the reality of a big God of grace. What do people need to be satisfied? A big God of grace. What is he? He's a big God of grace. And are our lives reflecting that big God of grace? This righteousness that does something about unrighteousness. Are we living like we believe and live for a big God of grace? Are we showing people a better and bigger way for us to be, for them to be living? Are we inviting anybody in by the way that we live our lives? I found this verse recently and just rocked my world and I just want to share it because it's got the word righteousness as its, as its heart and it's from Hosea and it says, sow righteousness for yourselves and reap faithful love. So the, the fruit of righteousness is, is faithful love. And then it says, break up your unplowed ground. It's time to seek the Lord until he comes and sends righteousness on you like the rain. Can you imagine? Righteousness like the rain. Like you get wet when it pours down rain that righteousness is just soaking on you and everybody that you come in to contact with. And so, so righteous for yourselves, reap faithful love. But I think this is the catalyst in this break up your unplowed ground. Well, what's unplowed ground? Something that's never been plowed before. What's it going to take for us to find a next level of righteousness to step into something we've never done before? To step out of comfort and to step into conviction and go for righteousness in a way that we've never done before. That's the invitation. Are we willing to not be so comfortable and stagnant in all of our preferences and things that we enjoy? And are we willing to put God first and find where unrighteousness exists in our own life, be convicted of it, repent of that, and move forward in the righteousness that he calls us to into the things approved by him. Let's turn some dirt we haven't turned before. Let's love some people we haven't loved before. Let's go somewhere we've never gone before. Let's try something new. There's something powerful in stepping into something, a place we haven't been, a thing we haven't done, and it's fulfilling when you do that and achieve it, right? So here's some things. Those are the five words, 
And I just want to give us an opportunity to respond through some action steps. Number one, check your sources. Check your sources. Are you willing to do a self-evaluation to see if there are destructive or distracting sources that are poisoning you and preventing you from living in the fullness of God? You ever got food poisoning before? It's like this thing that's supposed to be satisfying you actually poisoned you. Like, check your sources. What are you measuring satisfaction by? What are you being filled by? Number two, empty out what's in the way. You can't be filled if there's something else already there. So you got to empty out what's in the, the container, empty out what's in the way. If you want to be filled with something you've never been filled by before, then we got to empty out the things that are in the way. How can you make room in your life for the fullness of God? What do you need to pour out of your life in order to be satisfied? What conviction do you need to allow to make some room for the fullness of God to come and dwell? Fullness can only be given to something that's empty. Number three, respond to your convictions. I can't tell you what your convictions are, but you already know. Have the courage to respond to that which the Holy Spirit is saying, that's not a good idea. We need to that's here, I'm here. Could you just trust me and come over here? What convictions do you need to, to respond to? Number four, confront your comfort. It's okay. Nobody's gonna celebrate it and nobody's gonna understand. But if you can, it's gonna be a catalytic experience in your life that allows you to be more satisfied and fulfilled in your faith journey. Comfort is the enemy of satisfaction. It's you being the source. You'll never be satisfied by that. What are you being called out of? What new ground are you being led to break up? Where's God moving you? Number five, take a step of obedience. What obedience? It doesn't matter. Whatever God's saying, go talk to that person. I don't want to. What will I say? Do it anyway. Risk it. That neighbor that's been on your heart forever, the neighbor that's blasted the loud music in the middle of the night, and every major holiday, yesterday, God sent their precious little kids to our fence. And all of a sudden, saw it all differently, right? Had to step out, be available. It's just something that simple sometimes. So I would just say, where's your step of obedience? Walk with God, grow in community, live on mission. If you've never gone forward and said, hey, I'm ready to give my life for Jesus. I'm ready to put him first. I'm ready to follow him. I'm ready to call myself a Christian. Trust him for the forgiveness of my sin. I'm ready. I'm ready to take that step. It's time. Maybe you've never baptism. We're going to baptize some people in the holy horse trough right here next Sunday morning. It's going to be amazing. Baptism is something that is set apart. It says in Acts 2, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. So when you've taken that step and you've decided to become a believer in Jesus and a follower of Christ, like baptism is a public expression, a public demonstration of the choice that you've made into your heart. So maybe some of you students from one weekend, like you actually realize some things that you believed about Jesus this weekend. And the next step for you is go public with that. Don't be ashamed. Don't be afraid. Tell the world that you now associate with Jesus. For those of you that were maybe baptized, uh, sprinkled as an infant or in confirmation, maybe there was a time later where you actually realized that later on was when you put your faith in Jesus and that happened before. I would just encourage you to consider going public in a new way, break up some unplowed ground and let the world know who you stand for, who you associate with, and that you're living for this big God of grace, bigger than yourself. So baptism is a, is a big step of obedience for 
followers of Jesus. Don't be embarrassed. Be proud of him. Be eager to celebrate. So maybe that's you and you want to be baptized next Sunday. Maybe you want to join a house church and jump in with some other people. And you're like, I don't know about that. I don't like talking in front of other people. Maybe it's a step where you find mercy that you've never experienced before. It's a step of obedience. Live on mission. Serve the community. Meet your neighbors. Come with us to Nicaragua. Break up some unplowed ground and find a new level of satisfaction and fulfillment and going further than you've gone before, trying something you haven't experienced before. Matthew chapter five. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Renaissance Church Sermon Podcast. To contact us or find out more information, visit rin-church.org.